if an organization is, is short-sighted enough to say they need to just sit down and shut up and enjoy their employment then that's great and and you know enjoy the next 10 years because they'll be the last 10 years of your organization you know people are not going to want to work with you Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion-dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. On today's episode, we've got London-based wellbeing tech platform Juno, which focuses on delivering workplace benefits and employee wellbeing in a world that's becoming ever more connected. With its own online currency for employees and the increasing rhetoric from businesses and organizations globally around the importance of mental health, Juno is leading the way on the ever-changing landscape for work-life balance post-COVID. Set up in January 2019 by Ali Fakeki after leaving his job due to burnout, Juno connects employees to hundreds of globally available products, services and experiences, all aimed at improving well-being and mental health. Ladies and gentlemen, Ali Fakeki. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Ali, you studied at Epsom College. You went to University of Leeds. You did a Bachelor of Arts exactly the same time that I did a Bachelor of Arts as well. You then worked for Getty Images. You're quite a creative guy. How did you get into the world of entrepreneurialism? Yeah, good question. So I was... My heart was set on being a filmmaker. I picked up a camera when I was in my teenage years, and then that was really my passion for, well, I ended up being about eight years. But I think <laughs> the truth is that it was very difficult for me to actually get any kind of uh, job. And uh, it was, I, I kind of, I, I say to my friends jokingly that I was a photographer and a filmmaker until I realized I had to make some money. But then I chose to be an entrepreneur, which is totally antithetical to that. Yeah. So look, I mean, when I graduated, I, I wanted to follow my dream of being a filmmaker and gave up, uh, frankly, and translated those skills into marketing in startups. So you still get the autonomy, obviously, because a startup just kind of lets you run. Uh, but we, uh, yeah, we, we, we let the filmmaking uh, kind of uh, dream die, unfortunately. I mean, upbringing wise, what did your parents do? Were they entrepreneurs as well? Did they work for somebody? What was what were their careers? Yeah, so I was I was really fortunate, actually. So my, my parents uh, immigrated from Iraq. Um, so that's where my my heritage is from. Right. As you might have read in the news in the last 35 years, Iraq has had its political uh tribulations so (laughs) my parents my dad uh came to the uk when he was 15 his dad was a political um in political exile my mum lived through the war uh, the iran iraq war uh came in 89 so 10 years after they knew each other from back home i was fortunate that my mum was a was essentially a housewife uh and i was able to kind of have my mum around while growing up although she uh, to this day, um, well, she's an acupuncturist now, but but throughout my uh, my upbringing, she was 
really devoted to caring for others. So when I was a kid, she would she was a carer for for elderly people, for for disabled people, um, just volunteering. And now she works in a nursery. So there's that element of uh, of care that that has has sort of permeated her her life. Yes. Um, and as for my dad, you know, he he ran essentially what we you would now call a digital agency. Uh, but in the 90s yeah so, so, i mean they were evidently entrepreneurs i suppose of their of their time in in essence and it's interesting that your mother worked in care because the brand that you've just launched you know has an element of well-being and care do you think that has permeated into your life now and and that's one of the reasons that you care so much about it yeah i would say so i mean look there's there's a lot of elements of of you as a person permeate into the business that you build whether you know that or not you know whether you whether you're conscious of it or not um, what i would say is i could probably link a few iraqi cultural you know things to this which is first and foremost you know, iraq has been a place where authority has not always been respect- respected right and and societal issues are what you talk about around the dinner table um, that's what I've been raised to to be around right and so what that's translated as is a consciousness a societal consciousness or at least a concern a, a sensitivity to how things could be done better entrepreneurially as well if you if you also consider that when you come from a different culture especially you know back in let's say the 80s and 90s I don't know you know fresh off the boat let's say colloquially whether working in an organization is always going to be the most harmonious experience because you know there's a lot of assimilation that, that has to happen and so the natural pivot I suppose is to start your own thing to be your own boss to just you know be on your own two feet and, and there are a lot of Iraqi entrepreneurs that my you know my parents generation who just came from Iraq and started their own businesses so there's that DNA that yeah. that lends itself and I think what that's translated as for me is that I don't just care about you know why you know for example my my big chip on my shoulder is why we accept that stress and burnout are just like an endemic part of work you know that for me is why I started the business I just thought well we can do better than that uh, but but I think that 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 sort of chagrin yeah. is what drives drives people, not just Iraqis, obviously, but drives people. Yeah, and, and I mean, the reason that you alluded to, obviously, with the stress and the burnout side of things, that's one of the main reasons that you packed your previous job in. But before you packed it in, you worked your way up, you know, director of art, for instance, head of growth, head of user engagement. You know, you were quite senior in all these businesses. You must have had a good salary. But then you just went, no, not for me. Burnout's not something that I want to be dealing with, and I want to go and help people. What went through your head when you packed it all in? Did you manage to kind of fund the business yourself? Yeah, I mean, what went through my head is is that, that this is kind of like a not even a choice, you know. I, I think, look, to be completely honest with you, um, there's always there's always been an element of want wanting to be an entrepreneur. To anyone listening who wants to be an entrepreneur, it's not fun. <laughs> it's just not, and and it's very fulfilling um, in the same way that anything difficult can be, but the passion for what you're trying to do has to be there. Um, so when I kind of started thinking about Juno, it didn't feel, you know, having already wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I'd always thought, okay, well, I don't really know what I want to do and where my strengths lie. But then when when the idea for Juno came about, I just didn't really see another option, really. I mean, it felt like the idea had me rather than the other way around. But if you're not having fun, Ali, 
why bother for me this is fun you know this is fun in a way it's not fun objectively uh because you're stressed a lot and you have a lot of pressure and responsibility and you have to deal with the ups and downs of any uh you know any any fledgling business but there's nothing else i would rather do i mean literally there's nothing else i'd rather do So you founded this business January 2019. Over the last couple of years, you've grown, well, over the last year, you've grown 600%. What does that look like in real terms? Because starting from nothing, it's very easy to grow by 600, 1,000, 2,000%. What does that actually look like in terms of revenue? Essentially, before COVID, we had a little bit of an uphill battle. I mean, look, there was a lot of education that was required. You, know, you had to explain to clients, look, you are wasting so much money and time doing what you used to do. And employees just don't care. So why don't you, you know, modernize your approach and re and reinvent it and come with us and that wasn't always a fruitful conversation because at the time there wasn't a desperate need for it uh, we had clients of course making you know a couple grand a month let's say but covid accelerated all of the things that we kind of noted that were going to 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 be important right and, and those things were flexibility autonomy more of a focus on mental health so as a result i mean look, Post-COVID, and especially when the vaccine was announced, businesses were like, right, we've got a plan and this is what we want to do. We want to invest more in our people. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to show that we didn't learn anything. And so for us, that's meant that we started off the year with 11 clients. We now have over 150. Revenue-wise, you know, doing very well. You know, we are in a position to raise five to seven million pounds, uh, Series A. So let's just put it in those terms. So we've been we've been very fortunate, and we've managed to do it with a very small team. And you got sixteen staff at the moment. Sixteen. We were we were ten a month ago. Uh, we've we've grown the headcount very very quickly. And how does someone? I suppose having worked for somebody transitioning into running your own business, but then again, it was the creative world. It's very difficult from a creative point of view to sometimes communicate things from a structural standpoint. How do you build a business, structure a business, hire people? when actually you've only ever worked for somebody before. How did you learn that? Yeah, good question. I worked for some amazing startups. And I was, you know, a precocious 24-year-old that thought he knew everything. <laughs> I learned a lot from those experiences. And that's why it is important to have worked for at least a number of years because I wouldn't, Juno would not be successful had I not had the experience at Clio, at, at, at Yolt, at Lockbox, at, at Poor Squad before that. You know, in these very early stage businesses you learn what's important and what's not important you learn what to prioritize and what not to prioritize what i think is a great skill as a leader which i try to embrace is the ability to put your hands up and say maybe internally maybe publicly i'm working on 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 myself i'm i'm you know i've got a therapist i've got a business coach i've got a support network have you got that ali is that is that hypothetical or have you actually got business leaders yeah i've got all those things i've got a therapist i've got a business coach i read a lot about this but just just a little caveat which is that i fell into the trap of thinking i needed mentors and advisors and i didn't at all in fact i wasted my time because Advice is so non-contextual that you might as well just do without it. You know, there's no better way to do something usually than your way because it's authentic. What if you don't know what you don't know though, Ali? So if you bring on a mentor and an NED and they're going to help you scale, you don't necessarily know what is up ahead, but they've been through it before. So why would that not be valuable? So 
this is just my personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my experience, they don't add the value that they purport to, first and foremost. Advice that they can give is absolutely potentially valuable, but quite often lacks the context. Uh, so, for example, classic thing that will come up. Hey, and I'm having having kind of issues with this person in the business and they're not performing. And usually it's sack them. That's usually their advice. Well, just sack them. And that's because they've looked at the pain they went through in an organization, looked at it in hindsight and said, I should have just sacked them earlier, but completely removed the emotional context behind that, which is that you can't, it's not easy to just do that. And it's not always the right thing to do and so on and so forth. So I'm using an example of a very kind of black and white, non-contextual piece of advice. You know, I think one trap you can fall into is taking your pain, taking your stress and pressure and challenges and looking to advisors and NEDs and going, here you go, have this on your lap, you solve it for me. And actually being dependent on other people to help you make decisions that you ought to be making. I think I think that's right, Ali. I think I think you're right. I think mentors, NEDs, they're great, but you have to listen to them and you have to decide whether to take their advice or not. They're not there to fundamentally do it for you. And if you listen to them and you do it and you feel it's the wrong decision, then that's your fault, essentially, because they aren't going to drive the business for you. It's your business fundamentally. In terms of how you structure or your business kind of works from a financial point of view, Perkbox, for instance, you put money in, it's money and that's that. You have Juno points, which is kind of like a digital currency to a certain extent. Is Was that idea derived from the world of crypto, the world of NFTs and the way the world is going in terms of crypto? Or was it very much just something a bit like Avios points that you just thought, oh, it's nice to have X? Well, it's the latter, but I do like the, the term the Bitcoin for benefits that one of our clients called Juno points the other day. Look, I mean... <laughs> um, Bitcoin for there are three. There are three. There are three reasons why people don't use their benefits, right? The, the thing that they're offered. The first reason is that they're not tailored or relevant to them. So that's that's one thing which I think Perkbox can't get right. Um, you know, uh, frankly speaking, who cares about ten percent off Toby's Carberry, uh, which is the kind of thing that you can find on 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 Perkbox. I don't know. I quite like ten percent off Toby Carberry. Well, okay, fair enough. I'll pay full price. I'll give them the whole thing. I'll take me out for dinner. You can pay. I'll come. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Done, fair enough. Find the, find, find the nearest one between between London and Cheltenham. <laughs> yeah. um, Easy. So so look. Uh, the first reason is that people don't use their benefits is because they they're not tailored or relevant. They're not something that actually you know makes a difference to their lives ultimately. The second reason is that they are they don't even know that they have them on offer. You know, they don't even know where to find them. They don't even they're not aware of the benefits that they have on offer. But the third reason, which is why we install Juno points, is that employees are not able to come out of pocket for benefits. So, you know, being that wage stagnation is the way that it is, people are unlikely to want to fork out 50 quid, 60 quid uh, a month for a gym membership, despite the fact that it's 40 percent off or whatever it might be. And so what we needed to do with Juno is essentially allow employers to fund the Juno accounts, but use Juno points because, number one, it's internationally recognizable. It's not like a difference in currency is one unified currency which means that an hr uh, team can just give it to everyone in one one fell swoop um the other thing is it's fun which is a big part of it i mean the reason why we're so successful in, in a way or so far at least is is the brand employees look at this and go oh it's not another employee benefits platform cool i'll look into it i'll start using it and that for us is is a secret source because it's got to resonate with a with a modern professional um, and Juno points kind of adds a little bit of that. So it is more like Avios, 
but maybe one day it can be uh, on the blockchain. In terms of when you did start, though, you pumped 650,000 quid into the business. Did you fund that as a kind of, you know, first funding round? How did you get that money? Or was that money that you had saved up? Oh, my God, I wish it was saved up. If I had that saved up, I wouldn't have done anything. I would have just gone and sat in Aruba. Aruba, of all places. I know. It looks. It, I, I saw some pictures earlier. It looked really, really nice. This morning, I was uh, looking through my phone and, saw, and I was like, oh, maybe I should go there. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, of course, it's not my own money. Um, so, look. When I first started the business, I asked myself, is this a business that needs venture funding or not? And what would be the merits versus, you know, doing it profitably, let's say, from from day zero or making it something that doesn't need investment? And I landed on it being venture funded because I could really see this potential being a global and huge opportunity. and thankfully, you know, we got traction very early on. You know, I built Juno using WordPress, for God's sake. I mean, I, I literally, you know, used no code just to build it and get it off the ground because <laughs> I thought, you know, might as well just power an MVP and see what happens. And so fortunately, that that traction did attract some investors. And, and uh, you know, the 650K we got from Fuel Ventures was really, uh, for me, a signal that we could build something massive. In terms of the perception that you have when you worked for somebody from a mental health point of view and a well-being point of view, you must have quite a unique uh, ability with your team to give them things above and beyond what the normal employer might do simply because your business is a well-being brand. What does that perception look like? Yeah, good question. So I think first and foremost, we instill a sense of autonomy. And part of that is to give people the ability to speak up when they do encounter issues and this all comes from my own biases right I I always found it really weird that I had to ask permission to take a day off or ask permission to to come in you know two hours late because of a doctor's appointment I felt like I was back at school quite often I always thought that the lack of autonomy was a driving factor because you feel like you don't have your own personal choices, you know, a lot of the time, you, you you have to answer to someone else. And and to me, that's not something that we instill at Juno. So if you need to do something, whether that's look after the kids or take a day off because of your mental health, you just tell whoever you're working with, you know, hey, I'm not going to be in today. And we just have to respect that. Um, we set ourselves apart because for me personally, I think the word benefits is old hat anyway. And perks makes me just want to like vomit. Like it's just a horrible word. Like looking after my mental health is not a perk. Seeing a therapist shouldn't be seen as a perk. What I try to instill with our own culture, but also, you know, outside of that to our clients is that this is a whole new thing. This is a, this is a new category altogether. This forget, forget perk box, forget all that stuff. You know, this is, this is about, genuinely impactful support that an employer can give to employees regardless of their circumstances age location gender needs whatever it is the other part of that is treating people like adults and that that kind of is linked as well so so let's start with that that's the cultural aspect of it do you think that can work for all businesses though ali just telling somebody that you work with that you're not coming in tomorrow because your dog's got to go to the vets. What if you've got a meeting with your boss and you're not in? But you, how does that get communicated around the business as you grow? But then that's that's up to you as an employee to make your own, you know, to, to, to decide. You know, you we're all adults. You know, I'm sure the Tories would want this, but, you know, you have to be 18 to work. Um, you know, despite probably in the future they might 
lower that age to 12 or something. But anyway, the point is that in the workplace, you're all adults and you should make your own adult decisions about whether or not it's appropriate. You know, ultimately, if you need to take time off because you're feeling stressed or feeling like you're under pressure. Do you give people as much holiday as they want then? Do you go take as much day, as many days off as you want? Holiday's not a problem as long as you get the job done. Or do you still make sure people have 33 days off a year? So so everyone gets 31 days paid holiday. That's not including bank holidays, um, which I think is very generous. And the reason why we have it, we don't say unlimited, is because unlimited has been proven that people take less holiday. Uh, you know, you, you, there needs to be a framework, right? People embrace that. They as long as they build, as long as you build it together, structure is absolutely. There's nothing wrong with structure. Structure actually can be very freeing, you know, knowing that you have a certain amount of time left to to take holiday. Let's just say hypothetically, as you mentioned, I don't think that saying, well, you know what you need to get done. So do it whenever you want is a good approach, because what that does is leave out people that thrive with a structure. So one of my biggest fears in the future is that people that are brilliant, and smart and just as talented as anyone else but need a structure so need a framework aren't always aren't people that are self-sufficient they're they're they're, let's say neurodiverse just to put it in the new sort of modern word the point is that those people are not going to get hired if we're going to hire people that are self-managers that are self-sufficient that you can just like leave and say hey your kpi is to do this next by next week or whatever you need to sign up this many companies or make sure that the engagement rate is x in terms of structure then talk to me about what that looks like you're sitting at the top who's below you chief commercial officer uh, beneath her is the account management and sales teams yes, it's quite lean then in terms of that c-suite you're absolutely right it is quite lean it's two people yeah and in terms of i suppose how you would delegate down then are you still very very much involved in the day-to-day running of the business or do you delegate through your, your, your chief brand officer for instance so good question it took me a really long time to get my fingers out of the pie and actually let people do their jobs and part of that is because you're when you build a business it is a baby you're literally having a baby not literally but figuratively <laughs> having figuratively. figuratively having a baby yes equally as expensive as a baby as well sometimes. and what you're doing when you hire senior people is by is essentially it feels like hiring a nanny that you've never met before and leaving the baby with the with the childcare and hoping to god <laughs> that you don't come back you know and uh, to a catastrophe and, right and so michael jackson situation that's exactly. your fear well, exactly. So look, that's your fear, right? And so, so getting over that fear takes a bit of time and a lot of trust. But now that I, it's been months now, I can be free to do this fundraise, which has been all consuming. And the business has gone from strength to strength, which is just a testament to the fact that I think CEOs sometimes tend to overestimate how much impact positively they can have on a business. And, you know, they can walk away from it and take a holiday, for example, and find that the business has actually grown since they since they were gone. Have you taken a holiday in the last two years? I know you mentioned Aruba earlier. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have? You have. Yeah, not how, Aruba. How long did you go away for? Well, I, I sort of spent September. The whole of September? A whole month? How do you switch off on holiday? Not all of it. No, no. I was working. So I was, I was working. Uh, I went to, to Spain uh, for a bit uh, and didn't work for a week switched off my emails is that how you switch off yeah yeah, yeah. All, all of the notifications need to turn off 
I just don't look at anything. You know, make sure I'm busy, basically, uh, because if I'm if I'm idle, then I'll I'll end up you know checking my emails. But then I went to Italy and I worked from Italy, which was really nice. Very nice. Um, but I think you know having a change of scenery can also be really important because it you know changes your perspective slightly. I think a lot of a lot of your job as a founder is reliant on your perspective mm-hmm. and on how you see things and sometimes that can get poisoned because you are stressed and you are dealing with a lot of pressure and you're in the same environment and so that leaks into everyone else whereas you know being able to just go off and work from somewhere else for a few weeks or a day can change your your, your way of thinking and your perception and your perspective So over the last 24 months of Juno then, what's been the hardest lesson that you've personally learned? That's a good question. The hardest lesson, I suppose, is that you you come into this thinking, if it's not working, then you can change things and you should change things, whether that's personnel-wise, whether that's strategically. And patience is actually much more advised uh, because things can turn themselves around. One of the things that I suppose you learn or I learn is to be less reactive, to let bad things happen and let them run their course and then and then sort of use that as an opportunity to learn rather than to react to everything, which when I first started was I thought my job is like whenever something happens, I've got to react and I've got to be on the front foot and I've got to be offensive. You know, if if a deal doesn't work the way I wanted to or if this or if that or if a partner doesn't want to work with us. But now you, you don't, you're not as reactive. And I think part of that is your success. Your success kind of gives you a bit more confidence to, to say, well, that's okay. That part doesn't want to work with us. We move on. You know, a client wants to leave. We'll move on. That's okay. We don't have to fight every fight. I mean, and you, you're obviously learning as you're, as you're going and not being reactive. The seismic change that we've seen post-pandemic in terms of the world becoming more aware of well-being, of mental health, uh, flexible working. There are old school businesses that look at this and go, you're just mollycoddling all these people. You're just giving them things for no apparent reason. They should come in nine to five and they should sit on their desk and wear a tie. What do you say to that? The world has moved on, unfortunately, you know, for them, you know, yeah. At the end of the day, we put up with far less, you know, yes. and that's not just in work. You know, you've got the Me Too movement, you've got BLM, 100%. you've got, uh, you know, all of this stuff going on with sustainability and and, and the planet. You know, we're not going to put up with 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 things that aren't good for us as as human beings. And so, if a, if an organisation is is short sighted enough to say they need to just sit down and shut up and enjoy their employment, then that's great. And, and you know, enjoy the next 10 years because they'll be the last 10 years of your organization. You know, people are not <laughs> going to want to work with you. You know, it's just true. You it know, is true. They're giving your, their lives to you, to you as an organization. And a lot of the stuff that you're asking them to do makes no sense, like coming to an office. I remember my, you know, this whole nonsense about, oh, but collaboration. It's like, really? Because I don't remember walking into ING Bank and seeing 150 people all collaborating all the time. They fucking weren't. They were sitting there sending emails, right? Depends on the sector. I mean, manufacturing, I, I, I couldn't make toilet roll from my house, for instance. But when you're in the creative industries, <laughs> as you rightly know, Ellie, as you rightly know, if you're in the creative industries and you're having a, a brainstorm or whatever, really difficult sometimes to do it outside the office, really difficult to do it over Zoom. So I think it does depend on the, on the sector. Your business, I totally understand. Have you got an office? No. No, you haven't got an office. But you don't need to have an office, right? You can be 
international, they can be based anywhere. Manufacturing is ever so slightly different. What do you think the single biggest issue for employers is uh, coming up over the next couple of years then? It's difficult to narrow it down, but it generally will be around personnel. I mean, first and foremost, you know, there's a couple of things that to think about in terms of intersectional trends that, that as a result of, of COVID. The first trend will be when? there will be a recession. There will be in the next sort of 24 months, let's say, or, or, or longer. And it will last a long time because there's a hangover from COVID. I mean, COVID hasn't, you know, we've, we've been dealing with the virus, but then there's a lot of other long tail issues that, that are, are as a result. You know, what I've learned is in, in, in economics, you know, one spark in the 70s will, will lead to a chain reaction that leads into 40, 50 years. And COVID is just, yeah, this is just the beginning. So if there's going to be a recession, then why, what's going to happen to you guys? Because people are going to cut to us. People are going to cut giving their employees benefits because they need to look after the mothership and the business. How does that affect you? Now? That's not what we've seen. In fact, the opposite. Um, okay. we've, we've seen the opposite. And that's what investors used to say to us in 2019. This will be the first thing that was cut. You know, we don't lose our clients. 97% retention rate since COVID. Um, since before COVID, I beg your pardon. Um, so that's not what we've seen. And maybe that's the case for others, but that's not what we've seen. You know, ultimately, look, You've got the recession that I think is looming, um, you know, paying the the investment that the states have had to make in keeping people in in work or at least paid, as well as all the other you know structural things to, to survive through the pandemic. So that's another that's one challenge. Intersectionally to that, you have this sort of um, uh, opening of borders, this globalization, and it was already globalized, but even more globalized. So talent is going to be fought tooth and nail for um which is amazing for employees but not so much for employers um so you so it's going to be harder to pay people potentially and harder to find the good people which makes you know the both of those things interact with each other and and thirdly you know i think there'll be um, for, for businesses that are perhaps not geared to adapt quickly might find a lot of challenges because people are just going to vote with their feet. You know, I think what COVID, especially those that were furloughed, what COVID taught a lot of people that were furloughed is that unfortunately you are fairly expendable. You know, you can give your life to a business and all it takes is for one event that is you know, obviously seismic um, for you to to be told, thanks, but you're not a, you're not a, you know, essential to the business you know so, so people kind of leave yeah. that experience yeah. and go well well i'll just go and live in morecambe yeah and and, and go nice. and run a Morecambe's little very nice actually you know little law firm yeah really morecambe nice. is lovely fish and chip shop maybe that's probably see what see see it's very appealing you know it's very appealing to to leave you know the corporate machine uh, exactly for a fish and chip shop i'm in in terms of retaining staff rather than getting rid of staff culturally that's really important as you alluded to earlier how do you as a business build culture from a remote workforce yeah good question it's not easy but it, i don't think it's as hard as people make it out to be i mean go on what's the secret sauce i wouldn't call i wouldn't say there's a secret sauce i think the, the the main thing is that you you try you try and work on it together you know ultimately communication is 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 the foundation of, of of any culture culture isn't something that you just decide and tell hey, hey guys um this is a deck that tells you our culture. Um, Have you got a deck that tells you the culture, though? Surely you do. Uh, of course not. No, 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 no. We don't do that. We don't do like we don't do values. We don't do any of that crap because it's nonsense. It's just it's just not for, for me personally. I think it's nonsense. It's inauthentic nonsense. But can you not buy into a business because of their values, which obviously coincides with the perks and the benefits that you give your employees? Does that not go hand in hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that those are spoken values, and I, I I have to put them on a board. You know, ultimately. 
you know what what we what we value is um is hard work um passion collaboration and openness and those values are things that you can pick up on when you're hiring someone rather than saying these are our values what are your values like it's, so you do have that's values. just my personal so you do have values then but you just don't communicate them. But you yeah, just well, have yeah. Them. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We have values the same way I have values, yes. but I don't put my values on LinkedIn. No, no, yeah, and I write them down. <laughs> They're not tattooed on my arm. I the point is that they look. Cult- culture is something that you build. When you talk about culture in the traditional sense, so let's talk about the bloody Iraqi culture. Right. Iraqi culture is something that was built almost non-verbally. Well, obviously, there's writing and literature and music and all that, but that comes after years and years and years and years, and it's not like the culture man is, you know, the, the head of culture says, hey, guys, cult, uh, this is the culture. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a collaborative thing that you build over time. And that's what we try to do. But when, when starting a business, when it's one or two people, surely you go into that business, that startup with a vibe, with, a, with an element of culture that you want to disseminate when you're hiring people. You, you want the people to come on board based on the culture of that business, whether you've got grass on the walls or pigs in a greenhouse. No, that- at that stage, it's just you. Right. At that stage, people want to work with you. So how does that culture become a thing? Remotely, how does that culture become a thing? When we talk about culture, you know, you mentioned grass and the walls. You know, it's important to also kind of denote what culture is. To me, culture is how you treat each other and what you expect of each other and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. In other words, my culture in this business, our culture in this business, is that people have autonomy right and people are treated like adults and so that's you can just say yeah you can you can give them yeah that's not that's not a culture deck that's just you know this is the this is how we work another thing is that we don't micromanage each other uh you know it's important that that, because i've been in organizations where i've been micromanaged to death and it's been painful so like it's not for me i don't think about culture as a do you have you know lunch and learns and do you meet up every morning and have a chat and have a coffee because that's just dogmatic. Well, I think of our culture as, you know, are we, do we get on with each other? Yes. You know, do we feel respected? Do we feel valued? Do we feel seen? Do we feel heard? Is the culture that we have, you know, whether it's the way we speak about our customers, the way that we speak about our members, the way we speak about our brands, the way, you know, that's all the stuff that kind of just gets built over time, I suppose. And, and you know, I get that you're going to, what you're getting at, which is a, a, that's not scalable. You know, you have to codify it in some way if you're going to hire more people. And of course, there are ways to do that. But, you know, ultimately, if you get hired to a job and you get given a notion page that tells you all about the company culture, like, is that really how, you know, it's like, surely that the culture needs to be felt and, 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 something that you you pick up on and you assimilate to rather than right here's a his handbook be this subjectively i suppose culture is a difficult one to qualify but in terms of what success looks like which is far far easier because you'll have a perception yourself what does success look like for you in the next couple of years well i mean look i i I would like juno to be to 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 fulfill its dream of becoming a category creator and what what that means in layman's terms is is actually changing the way that we look at, at at how we interact with our employer and if that becomes a ubiquitous you know method and it inspires other businesses even if they compete with us in the end i'm happy with that because i i, I want to you know leave this project in the next 10 to 15 years and look back and go well before we existed this was done this way and now it's done a completely different way and we are now the standard and you know, I also you know love love to 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 see 
you know, Juno becoming, I'd love to see Juno becoming a kind of ubiquitous consumer brand as well, you know, a brand that, that employees have, you know, brand awareness. There's, you know, how, almost like a household name, you know, to say like Slack, for example. Um, you know, I, w- I want Juno to be seen as a the kind of brand or business that you can use in, in, in down the pub and people will know what you're talking about. In terms of you personally then, Ali, what does that look like? Is it financial reward? Is it making sure that your team are looked after? Is it going to Aruba? <laughs> it's a difficult question to answer, but frankly, you know, I want to, whatever happens with the company, you know, I want to feel like at the end of that experience and journey um, that I learned a hell of a lot and enough to equip me to do my, you know, whatever my next chapter of my life is. You know, I think it's important to to stick to what you're doing to to keep the passion you have to look at it as you you kind of i know this is a bit of a cliche but you can't kind of like a student right it's like okay what did i learn in that experience and so on and so forth so personally you know it would be great to feel like i've just been through a very rigorous phd of building a business right um and that i think will be the best thing i could ask for um because that kind of negates the need to be successful in quotes uh, because it's up to you to decide whether or not you're happy with the the effort that you put in um and i do really like porsches so i'd quite like to get one of those but that's that's an additional thing you like porsches see i i really don't like you now because i hate porsches really um but that's okay yeah we'll move on from that point how do i find juno as an employer or an employee how can i use your platform yeah, so our website has everything you could possibly need. I mean, the website is with Juno.com, so W-I-T-H-J-U-N-O.com. Of course, you know, we have a little quiz on the website which shows if Juno is right for you as an employer, um, fill it in and um, you know, you'll be able to reach out to one of us and we'll, we'll, we'll learn a bit more about you and about uh, your, you know, your challenges, I suppose. Ali, I have genuinely, genuinely enjoyed the conversation best of luck buying the porsche maybe go for the electric one because you get tax benefits on that one again a possible perk i might do that (laughs) i'll speak to you soon ali thanks very much thank you so much cheers dude thanks for listening coming up next week quite quickly it's been evident what i'm good at and what i'm not good at go on what you bad at i can make a perfume no problem can i fill a bottle and make sure it doesn't leak i did try that very briefly and i was warned off doing that how hard could it be to just put some liquid in a bottle that's what i was told when all my bottles leaked right. uh, <laughs> that's exactly the comments that were made, were made to me thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year capsule cover capsule cover a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses supports some of the uk's most innovative and ambitious companies sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts we're on a journey with capsule and so should you be If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. See you next week, 8am on all podcast platforms. Simply subscribe or ask your smart speaker to play Success is in the Mind podcast. This is a Pinpoint Media podcast presented by me, Oliver Bruce, produced by Dan Miller and Fergus Bruce, edited and designed by Harry Fox and Victoria Bramwell, filmed by Madeline Harris, marketed by Ellie Hanwell and Rachel Buchanan-Hughes, and managed by Bethan Wyatt and Annabelle Lawton-Smith. Quite a team. Thanks, guys. If you know anyone you think we should interview, if you want to tell your story or have your say, please reach out to me directly via podcast at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Cheers, guys. Cheers.